From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. And join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again at The Podvocate. I'm your host, Andy Vandenbush. Law school is a graduate institution and a club that lots of people vie for while finishing up their bachelor's degrees. Without tiptoeing around the topic for too long, what I'm trying to say is this. Law school students tend to be young adults, and not in the teen romance novel genre kind. I mean young adult adults. In fact, LSAC reports that the average age of admitted law school students is between the ages of 21 and 24. Naturally, this is an average and ages vary, particularly when including part-time programs. But the numbers we tend to see fewer of are 30s, 40s, even 50s. I turned 35 this year, and by the time I complete my tenure, I'll be halfway through 36. And although we tend to consider this age one of non-traditional students, I know I'm not alone in this. By the time individuals reach their 30s, they're often built into a career, have begun to purchase homes and raise families, and we don't regularly see them juggle a professional degree with the rest of their responsibilities. Today, though, I'm talking with three of those jugglers. All of them are over the age of 30, and we get a chance to discuss some of the intricacies of law life after 30. Okay, everybody, thank you again so much for joining me and being able to just talk about law life at in your 30s. I know that we are pushing right up to finals, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do think that we've we've chiseled out our schedules as we've learned how to do over the last three years, all of us. Um, so uh, what I'm going to do is just, if we could just go around this room and you could tell me first what your name is, and then if you could also tell me your law school year, which ironically enough, we're all going to be in the same year. I'll start. My name is Arthi walker Padakotla, and I am a 3L, and I'll also tell my age, I am 41. Hi, I'm Kristen Dola, and I am also a 3L, and I'll go ahead and tell my age as well. I just turned 37. Hey, folks. I am Kate Dvorak. I uh, she, her pronouns, and I am 39. So this is a brave space, it sounds like. Uh, my name is Andy, and I am also a 3L. I am the baby of the group, apparently. I just turned 35 in September, so here I felt like I was this crotchety old man. <laughs> but nope. I'm, I'm, nope, I'm we in got you beat, Andy. <laughs> this is very a group like us sitting here uh, in our 30s and 40s um, talking about law school is not a thing that happens. Uh, at least not very commonly. So I guess my first question for everybody is, what brought you to law school? I mean, we're we're in a place that we are not, we could literally be doing anything else. And we've chosen to spend our time here. So why why law? Why here? 
this might, I'm going to try and keep this short, but the short answer is I wanted to be a lawyer in some way, shape or form since I was 12, but life got in the way. I was a, a low income single mom. I had to join the military to get out of an abusive childhood. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my late thirties that I felt financially stable enough to go to law school. Um, and interestingly, when I applied, I was applying for like full-time law school because the idea was that I was going to quit my job and do become a full-time law student. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, oh, crap, I might need this job because <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with it. And, um, I'm doing part-time law school. And I think that that was the best decision I made as a law student. Uh, for me, uh, when I graduated in 2008, it was, you know, the best of times. And um, I was really just lucky to have a job at the time. I, my then boyfriend, now husband, he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to go to physical therapy school. I knew that I wanted to do some kind of higher education, but I didn't know what my plans to go to medical school didn't work out. And so I decided that since I had a job offer that I would take the job and I would support my boyfriend, my husband, um, through his endeavor to go through graduate school. And when he graduated, we got married. And then a few years later, we bought a house. And then we had a couple of kids. And, you know, 10, 12 years later, it's like, oh, you know, I always wanted to go back to school, but it just never was the right time. And then um, I ended up switching jobs. And my boss asked me if I would consider going back to law school. And I said, absolutely. So here I am. That's, you both have amazing stories. It's It always surprises me what brings people here. So um, like RT, I, um, I was telling people in high school that I was going to be a lawyer someday. And then I went to college and I realized that I did not actually like school. And that was not a really good plan. And I got done with four years and I found a job and I was like, yep, sounds good. And then life happened. Um, and a couple of years ago, it became apparent that I was going to have to move from my bigger city to a much smaller city. Um, in northern Wisconsin and for some family reasons and I sort of was like well how do I get a job with a comparable salary and how do I do really good work um, while I'm up there and law school sort of came back on the table I had um, my brother's in-laws are both lawyers and they kind of just kept saying hey Kate I think you'd make a really good lawyer I think you'd make a really good lawyer and so finally I believed him um, and that's what brought me here I appreciate that. And it's funny because everybody's got like a different like subset of like what brings them there. Uh, I am going to say that I, my world goals were not to become a lawyer at any point in time. I always thought that I was going to work in education. That was, that was my plan. I, you know, graduated from my undergrad and I worked in education for 10 years. I got my master's degree in education, but I knew when I was done with my master's that I was not ready to be done with learning. And I just didn't know what it was that I was going to do because I also knew while working in education that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be a principal. I wasn't going to be a superintendent. That was not, that was not in the cards for me. I didn't want to tell teachers what to do, especially being a teacher at the time. It was like that, but what I knew I wanted to do was I have learned that I like the idea of looking at problems and analyzing them and finding ways that we can make them change. 
And so the best way for me, I thought that I could do that was through policy. And so in, in thinking about how do I work with policy, I knew that a PhD wasn't going to do it. And so I thought, well, if I, if I go to law school, that's, that's nothing but policy. So let's, let's do it. And thinking that I was going to go into education law and now I work in healthcare compliance. So, you know, there's that too. So, um, (laughs) by education, but that is what brought me here is, um, you know, I, I like the idea of assisting and making change because we live in an effed up world right now. And I think it would be nice to, to work on that. Thanks. Uh, next question that I have for you is it kind of like bleeds into a lot of the stuff that you all were saying before, but did you have any careers before you came to law school? Do you have a career now? What it is that you do and how did that career, did it manifest in bringing you to this place? Um, I've had a lot of careers before law school. Um, I mentioned that I was in the military for six years. And then I was a scientist. I was a microbiology grad student um, getting my PhD, but then mastered out of my program. Um, So uh, I did that for four and a half years. And um, and then I (laughs) made a career change into tech um, and ended up working in tech for seven years. And I was a director of engineering at my last job in tech. Um, And I'm now sort of transitioning. I've also like always done community organizing efforts. So when I was in tech, I organized a conference for like gender queer non-conforming people in tech to become leaders in tech. Um, And and then I kind of have shifted my organizing more towards criminal, the criminal legal system and abolition. And that sort of, you know, the roads have sort of all converged into one during my law school experience. And now my career is shifting again into more focusing on the legal system, the criminal legal system, abolition of the criminal legal system. Um, And in my work as a former elected official, like looking at how the state continues to create barriers and oppress people. I don't remember what the second part of your question is. <laughs> no, that's that's okay because I you've actually made me think of a different question specifically for you, Arthi, that I want you to answer is from what I know about you and from what we've even learned like now, abolition is kind of the thing that's in your blood. And how does going to traditional law school make you feel as an abolitionist or like as someone that that wants to work on reforming the system? Oh, law school further radicalizes me because there's, it's almost in every class as I'm reading the cases, I always annotate everything I read and, you know, with side notes. And there are multiple cases in every single class where I've said this case makes the case for abolition because like, you know, there are cases in criminal law or criminal procedure. Kristen and I are both in criminal procedure this semester. And there was one case in the very last module that we read where a kid was questioned by the police. And I was like, oh, this is this makes the case for abolition, because why the heck are we subjecting our children to police questioning without an attorney, parent, guardian present? Like that should not even be allowed. And there's actually been an Illinois issue with this, um, with this very uh, with this very issue. So I think law school has further radicalized me and I've organized on the law school campus to create an abolition and movement lawyering course 
Um, I've co-created and I co-teach that course, even though the law school does not pay me to teach that course. <laughs> and I bring a lot of experience. So that I think the thing the law school doesn't understand and no knock to Loyola, like I think Loyola is a great school, but it still is an institution that furthers an oppressive legal system. And I think Loyola does not, has not taken advantage of the fact that it's weekend JD cadre of students have expertise in areas and we can actually teach some things that the law school can't teach. And, you know, I just like during this last year, I found out that I got the Soros Justice Fellowship. So starting next year, I'm going to be a 2022 Soros Justice Fellow. And it is amazing because I can continue abolition and movement lawyering work as a Soros Justice Fellow. And that's going to be my full time job for the next 18 months. So my journey in law school has kind of, you know, taken everything that I was doing and kind of all the loads, roads kind of converged into one. I made this joke last time when I talked to Kirk, but I think the interview's over. We can go home. We're, we're, we're done, I think. Kristen, Kate, I want to hear you too. So again, do you have careers now or did you have careers before coming to law school? And how did those careers manifest into law school or how did they lead you there? we have, we have a really strong start. You know, it's party is always such a hard act to follow because she's done so many amazing things. And I could just listen to her for hours and all of the things that she's accomplished. But, um, I actually, I never really thought about the law. So when I was in undergrad, I was like, science, 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 like I'm going to be a physician. Like there is no other option for me. And then at the very end of my underschool or my undergrad schooling, I had gone on this like tour day kind of shadow at an emergency department and saw some blood, fainted on the floor, decided, you know, this is probably not the career path for me. Um, you know, physicians need to stay conscious. And so I really was at the end of my undergrad career. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was really lost. Like I said, my husband knew what he wanted to do. I didn't. So I just started plugging into any kind of job search engine, biology, and Chicago, because I knew I wanted to move to the city. And I found this job as a biotechnology paralegal at a small boutique or IP firm in the Sears Tower, which, you know, coming from a small town in Wisconsin, working in the Sears Tower is like a huge deal. <laughs> so I interviewed there. I interviewed a few other places too, but I interviewed there. I felt just at home there. I thought, you know, it'd be great. I was like, it was really exciting. The people were, were wonderful. So I ended up accepting that job and I started shortly after I graduated. I worked exclusively in the biotech um, area. So doing just not really getting much into the science, but I was working exclusively with a lot of attorneys that were in the, the field of science. And at the time, I had absolutely no idea that this was an option for people who were in the field of any kind of science. And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I, maybe this is what it is. So I ended up working for a few years. And then um, because I had the hard science background, I was able to take the patent bar. I took that in 2012 and passed and was working for, for so, way too many years to try and move up from the paralegal position to a patent agent position. And um, then I ended up, I had a baby, came back, still working as paralegal, had another baby. And then um, when I was on maternity leave with my second child, uh, one of the partners from the firm had called me and told me that she was leaving. She was going to be exiting the firm and she wanted me to know. And I was like, oh, 
that's really strange that you would pick to call me, but okay, thanks for the, you know, thanks for the warning. And she's like, well, there's, um, it's kind of selfish, but I called you because I want to take you with me, but I don't want to take you as a paralegal. I want to take you as a patent agent. And that was what I had been working to for so many years. And it was a big risk, but to this date has been the best risk that I have taken in my entire life. So I went from working in the Sears Tower for about 10 years to working exclusively remotely before it was cool, before the pandemic happened, working from my home. And that gave me the ability to be able to pick my kids up from school and to be here when they got home. So that was just, that was, that was where it was at for me. So that's what I still do now. And then when we were in Paris <laughs> on a business trip, she had brought up the prospect of me going to law school and I have not looked back since. So that is where I am after I graduate from law school and hopefully pass the bar. Um, I plan to do exactly the same thing as I am doing right now. So that's my story. What a boss date to be like, I know you're in she Paris. And the then she's fun. like, and you need to go to law school, by the way. She is the most wonderful human, let me tell you. And she's brilliant. I love learning from her. And every day it's something new. So it's really been, it's been amazing for me. I I love hearing these stories. They're, they're just so fantastic. So I had, um, I graduated from college and ended up working for the job that I'd worked at during my undergrad, um, sort of fell into the role. It's, it's, again, it's one of those, like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, and so I was doing a really niche job um, coordinating support for mostly children, but also adults with disabilities for a community recreation department. Um, so helping individuals with disabilities participate in community rec programming. And we just happened to be a rec department that was run through a school district. So I had this really close tie to a school district um, and we did a lot of after school programming and a lot of childcare programming and those kinds of things. And then this sort of, um, life situation happened, which necessitated this move um, from my like really pretty well-paying job. And especially like thinking about like a social worker type role, um, pretty well-paying in a nice big city where I had all my friends and everything. And all of a sudden I was going to have to move to small town, Wisconsin. And then also I had had this interaction with a guardian at Lightem. Um, so we had a kiddo with autism, pretty profound support needs. Um, individual didn't use verbal communication, had a lot of behavior support needs. Um, and parents were being investigated for child abuse and neglect. And I had this guardian at Lightem who was trying to investigate this situation and was asking all sorts of questions. And I just had this moment of like, you don't understand autism at all. And you are trying to advocate for this kid. And the things that you were starting to like say are abuse or neglect um, characteristics are actually not, right? Like they're just behaviors associated with autism and having autism and being autistic. Um, and I was like, it's, you're, you're doing a disservice to this kid by not understanding his disability. Um, and right then just the, the numerous interactions I had with parents and families and guardians over the time and individuals, adults with disabilities, where they just... They weren't getting services. Um, you know, they had access to services. They had case managers, but they just still weren't getting their fair shake um, as a participant in community. Um, so I did that job for 17 years and then had to move. And I never thought I would find anything in that type of world. Like that job just doesn't exist other places. Um, it's, it's pretty specialized. 
And then I just recently moved up to this small town, Northern Wisconsin. I work now at a small um, liberal arts college, like tiny college, and they are going to be starting um, an IPSI, an inclusive post-secondary college program for students with intellectual disability, which is also just this amazing niche kind of thing. There's 300 of these programs in the nation, um, and we're going to start next fall, and they're tiny programs. We're looking at like six students. But my new job gets to be creating this college experience program for students with intellectual disability who will um, right, work on independent living skills, work on employability skills, um, and all those kinds of things. And really just not letting kids go after high school. Right? We have really robust, legally mandated services all the way through high school. And then you switch over to community and you sort of either like you get a job or you go into supported employment or you go into day services and there's not a ton of other options out there for this group of people that have so much potential. Um, so I'm really excited to be doing that work now too. I've been in that position just a couple of months and I don't know what that means for post law school. Um, like I was saying things thing, you know, the reason I started law school has now changed and the situation has changed a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure where I go with this. My intention was always to go into family law because that's what I knew. Um, I've definitely thought about going into special education law. Um, now I'm also dealing with um, and supporting a parent who is aging and having some medical issues. And I'm thinking about elder law because gosh, that is also an untapped field and everybody gets old, hopefully. Um, and navigating being old and what to do with your money and how to handle it and making sure that you're getting this, again, access to services, getting the services you need and are deserving of um, is really important. So I don't know where I go from here, but that's what I'm doing now. We can appreciate all of the stories. So it, it doesn't really matter if that is law focused or not. I feel in the same boat of having a million jobs. I uh, graduated from my undergrad and I worked as a sign language interpreter for five years and I worked everywhere. I worked in education through unemployment, through job interviews, all of that. Um, for one of those years, I did work for um, an employment department in the state of California and we just offered the employment department services in sign language for deaf, for, for deaf consumers. Um, and so that was a lot of understanding ADA, understanding unemployment, understanding how do you, what qualifies you for these things, but also what are some of the services that you can tap into as, a, as an individual with disabilities. And that was a lot, it was, it was overwhelming. And I also know that one thing I think we've all learned is that to be an, a working adult in a career is you have to take a ton of tests. And sign language interpreting, you have to, it's in flux right now, but at the time that I was working, you, one of the like mandated rules was you had to take this national interpreter certification test that had like a 30% pass rate. And so, and it was like 500 bucks a pop. And it was like, I can't, I can't continue doing this kind of work if it's going to just drain my, drain my pocketbook. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it, it just wasn't worth it for me which led me into education because of course the standards for kids is so much different than standards for adults. So it was a completely different set of systems working with deaf kids. So I worked as an educational interpreter um, for the remainder of my time there. Um, 
And I learned how to advocate for idea and ADA and things like that. Um, but it was that idea of you walk into a classroom and there are good teachers and there are bad teachers. And I was like, I can't let any more space for these bad teachers. So that's pushed me to, to go and get my teaching license. Um, and so I taught as a teacher for five years after that. Um, and then kind of the story at the top of the hour was, you know, I knew I wanted to keep going, but I didn't know how I wanted to do it. And being in policy was how in my, in my own funny way was that I was going to pardon me, but teach the dummies that are unwilling to learn the things to learn the things, but also to kind of push out those, those people that are unwilling to accept the changes. Um, but on top of it, the other thing that, that I always thought was so interesting, and especially like in law school is, you know, we all started when we were in the middle of a pandemic and not only was it a pandemic, but it was also this reckoning that like the world kind of sucks and like the systems that we have set up in our world suck. And that has been a push for me through the last three years of like, there's some, we got to make some changes. And that's why, that's why I want to keep going. Um, and now I work the boring job of healthcare compliance, making sure that um, people in their offices are following the law and we are providing services to people in the right way. And we're not frauding them of their money or their services, things like that. You know, uh, my next question for everybody is what are some responsibilities you currently have that are outside of law school homework and studying for finals? Like, what is it? What are your life responsibilities right now? My life responsibilities are um, I have three children. Um, one of them is in college. So we had to uh, sort of transition her to her sort of university thing. And so now we get to joke about um, having exams and finals at the same time and being miserable at the same time. Um, and then the other two are younger and they're in elementary school. So, you know, everything that comes along with that. And um, that's a huge responsibility. Like I, you know, I'm 41 and I often say that I'm too old for this because I can't do the 3 a.m., you know, up until 3 a.m. like study sessions anymore like I used to in my undergrad and my early grad school days. Um, because I have to get up and make lunches in the morning. Like that is real. Like I have to get up and make lunches and take the kid because I do the morning shift and the husband does the afternoon shift and their lunches have to be made and they have to go to school. And so I got to wake up early. Um, and that means you just have to be really ruthless with your time. And that is a hard, like, it's hard to figure out how to make everything work. So that's a big thing. And then everything that comes with life, you know, like a home and, and managing that. Um, and then when I was working, I was working a full-time job up until January of this year. Um, and then I had to quit for medical and, and health reasons. Um, but, you know, managing that on top of, uh, on top of law school is a lot. It is, it is an incredible, just that, uh, juggling act. I wouldn't even call it a balancing act. It's not a balancing act. It's a juggling act. And there will be times that everything is on the floor. And you just have to figure out which pieces you need to pick up to move on. 
I hear that it's just a compilation of putting out fires that need to be put out <laughs> at the time that they need to be put out and then you just move on. Um, I, like Artie, I have two children. Um, I don't have an older one, but I do have the two little ones. I have uh, a kindergartner and a second grader. So with that, I um, there's a lot of like, we read a lot. I do a lot of stuff at this school. I'm, you know, I was a room parent for a while, but I have since I've started to be in law school, uh, learned to say no a lot more often as is needed. Um, and, you know, we have just our normal, you know, upkeep with the house and uh, my full-time job, you know, that thing. And um, yeah, just general life pulling you in every single direction and me being the kind of person that has a hard time saying no, but um, I'm learning. And uh, yeah, that's about it. So had you asked me this question four months ago, my answer would have been nothing. I'm a single person. I live by myself. I have no other responsibilities. That's it. Um, and then life happened and I moved and I moved into a house with my mom and my sister and my niece who is seven and all of the things changed. So now I am starting to take on caregiver responsibilities for my mom. She has some medical issues. Um, my sister also has some challenges that make it so that she can take care of herself, but not really others. And then I have a seven-year-old um, and I definitely subscribe to the role of parenting, even though I'm not necessarily a biological parent um, and I'm slowly taking over those kinds of things. So I don't know what I used to do with all of my time. Um, I'm pretty sure I napped and slept a whole lot more. Um, but now it's like I get home from work at 5.30 and then from 5.30 till about eight o'clock is just packed full of all the things. Like this, these, this, this group of people wants to eat dinner every single night. And if I don't cook it, they either eat McDonald's or mac and cheese. So I cook the food most of the nights because once a week, those things are fine, but not every night, um, which is when they would happen and when they were happening um, and those kinds of things. And then I get, you know, my kiddo tucked into bed. I literally just stepped away from this and had to go say goodnight because that's what we have to do in this house. Um, and then came back and then I come into my home office and I start doing homework. And I do that for a couple of hours until I'm just exhausted. And then I go to bed and then we just repeat that. Um, and I'm also a commuter for law school, which means that I get this extra challenge of having to like pack up my whole life, find somebody to care for my family lightly at this point, but who knows when that changes drive to Chicago. And I leave. So I leave my house at, um, seven 30 on Friday mornings when I go to work and, um, I have a bit of a drive, a bit of a commute for work. So then I, by the time I get done with work, it makes more sense to just keep driving to Chicago rather than turning around, going North, packing up bags or something like that, and then turning back around. And then I'm gone for an entire weekend and I don't get home until about six 30 or seven o'clock on Sunday nights. So that also just adds to like, sort of the not only am I in class every other weekend, but I'm also just not home every other weekend um, and those kinds of things. So like I said, I don't know what I used to do with all of my time, uh, but it was really nice before this. Um, and now it's just, it's sort of just like what has to happen and all the things have to get done. And I subscribe to the idea that my family comes first. Um, generally, I put myself second most of the time, not always. Um, work usually comes third because that has to pay the bills. And then like law school is fourth on the list and sometimes fifth or sixth, depending on what else comes up um, on the thing. And it's just, 
it's just what the situation has to be. But that also definitely means that there are some weekends I am not prepared for class because I don't have all my homework done because things in slots one through four took more space. I mean, my hat is tipped to all of you because you have things that need to be taken care of. I don't think there's anything wrong with eating mac and cheese. I'm just going to say that. Mac and cheese is a delightful meal once a week, maybe even two or three. I mean, because, right, you have to remember that my kid, not only does she eat mac and cheese for dinner, but then once a week, she also takes easy mac to school. And then there's a leftover situation. And it's just, it's about quantity, not saying that it's not a quality product. Right, right, right. right. No, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that... I have a bunch of other questions I want to ask, and I know that we've got 15 or so minutes left, but um, it made me think of a, a, a question that kind of came up just thinking about all of this is our life's, our life's um, responsibilities tend to be the things that are going to take priority over this law school stuff. And so I guess, what is your strategy to feeling like you are not prepared or you feel like you are not going to walk in there and going and going to like kill that cold call. Like, how do you, how do you handle that? To start, I've never stressed about a cold call in my life. I honestly think, you know, and that's I, the way it should be. <laughs> like when I, when I started law school, everybody was like, Oh my God, cold calls. are I'm like, so a teacher just asked you a question, like that's all it is. A professor just asking you a question. I didn't get the big deal behind it. And if you don't know it, it's not like they're going to kill you. Like what? I, I just was like so shocked that people were freaking out about cold calls because they're not that big of a deal. It's like, okay, I didn't do the reading. Sorry. <laughs> like, um, you know, and usually most of the profs will be like, do you need co-counsel help? And it's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> And usually our class is so good at like, you know, supporting each other that I've just never stressed about it. Um, and uh, even in my worst of days, I was able to figure something out like, right. So that's one. Two, I struggle with um, anxiety and depression um, connected to a lot of things, military service, child abuse, all of that. And it's really easy for me to um, let my anxiety take control of the sort of situation and just like freak out all the time. Um, and so I have to schedule everything. Like I've just realized I've had, I have to write, I have to, I every, every two weeks. So every time we end classes, I have a biweekly scheduler, like on a, it's a, a Google sheet that literally here's everything that needs to happen in the next two weeks. Um, I have an exam scheduler. So like between the last class and exams, here's how many weeks I have. Here's when things, papers are due. Um, and because if I can see it, my brain and my anxiety relaxes a little bit. Um, but I've had to learn how to manage that because otherwise there have been moments where I've just been like, oh, this is not gonna happen. And I hold myself to a pretty high standard. Um, and that's not good. That's not healthy. Um, but I think, I think honestly, it's just accepting that if you don't have it today, we thankfully 
the when I going back to what I said earlier about the best decision I made in law school was going into the weekend JD program. I think the reason why is we have such a supportive class. I don't know if that is true for every weekend JD program, weekend JD section. I think because we started all in the pandemic, because we all were kind of starting in this collective moment of just civil action and community, and we wanted to support one another, our classes really supported each other. And I don't think I would have survived two and a half years of law school if it wasn't for our section. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons. I think, I think just because of the camaraderie and the support we have in our section alone, um, I think that actually helps us navigate what is a very difficult and taxing experience. I really just echo everything that Artie said. There's, it's our section. That's the only way that I've been able to get through this really. I'm the plan every second of my day to make sure that I get everything done. Um, everything for everyone else that I'm responsible for, everything for myself. I don't get nearly enough sleep, but um, yeah, it's all all in the planning and then relying on those people that you've made these relationships with to help pull you through. Yeah, that's a that's a third for the amazing the amazing group of people that our class is. Um, it's number one. I take a ton of strength from knowing that I'm not the only one in in this storm, right? That whole idea of that, we're not all in the same boat, but we're all in the same storm. Yeah, I'm not the only one in the same, this storm. Like we are we are all in this together. We are all going through our things, right? Like we, as we've heard tonight, like everybody's got so much on their plate. And I take a lot of reassurances when I put it into our group chat and I say, hey, I'm not gonna be ready for class this weekend. Anybody else where I'm at, like just make me feel better about the fact that I'm not gonna be ready. Um, or like just this week, I emailed a professor and I, I just fessed up, you know, and I said, Hey, I'm not going to be ready to present in class. I know it's our last class. The reality is I just didn't have time. And I don't want to, I don't want to come in there and just fake it. Um, because I'm, I'm not good at that either. Like there are some people who can just sort of pull out answers and talk, um, or are smart enough to just be able to do that. And I am not that person. Um, so I try to be just really honest and ask for a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness from other people. And I have not had a single professor come back at me and say like, nope, not acceptable, no excuses. You have to be ready for class this weekend. Um, I try to save asking uh, for that grace until when I really need it. But again, zero, zero professors have come back and not said, yep, I've got you. It's fine. I won't cold call you this weekend or you know, get it to me a week late, or here's an extension, and those kinds of things. That's been since day one. Again, it's about remembering that law school is not first, second, or third on your list, um, and, and being okay with that. And um, yeah, uh, just the, the other strategy is, right, uh, volunteer early so that you don't get cold called later on in a question that you don't know. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of advice. If you're not super prepared, prepare something and then volunteer for that one, because then you're off their list for a little bit. Um, so yeah. I appreciate that. And I think it also brings up, um, I'm noticing a couple of themes, and these are themes that tend to show up every time I talk about Loyola, every time I talk about uh, the, the Weekend JD program, anytime I talk about this, these specific things, it's community. And, and it's this idea of lifting as you climb. And I am carrying that with me through my entire four years. But I think another thing 
that I just even for the topic today that sets us as kind of lived adults versus some adults who have not lived as much as we have when they come into law school there is that a there is that expectation that the learning is rigid and you have to know everything before you walk into the room and that is just simply not true i i feel like if there was any anything i could tell someone who is not a non-traditional student is that if you knew everything you wouldn't be here so just not knowing the answer is not the problem. The problem is feeling like you have to know the answer every single time. So I, I just appreciate that all of you have have shared this idea that like community is, is what keeps you prepared. It's it's not necessarily the studying. It's not necessarily being at the top of the class or knowing what get, getting ready to know whatever whatever the question is going to be. And so I I am grateful to all of you for that. I think that's a very that's a thing that we don't learn very easily. So with the last five minutes that we have together, my last question for you is, what is your advice for the under 30 law crowd? I don't know if I like giving advice for like young people younger to me, right? Because I think that there, I, there's a bit of ageism. Um, and on some days I feel old, but mentally I still feel really young, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think I, I think like if I was a, a, you know, a young person going into law school, I think really the reminder is like there, I go back to um, Harry Potter and Hogwarts, like there's always a friend at Hogwarts um, and I can't remember the whole line, but there's always a friend. Um, Loyola, while I will always be critical of institutions because that's just the abolitionist in me, Loyola has a great group of professors, a great group of students, a great group of administrators that really genuinely, truly care. There are professors here that if you ask them something and if you show them that you care, they will literally move heaven and earth for you. And I have experienced that firsthand. Um, there are students, your fellow students, who will share outlines with you. If you miss a class, will share class notes with you. Like, you just have to ask. So never be afraid to advocate for yourself and ask for what you need because it is a false mentality that we are told that we have to do everything by ourselves. That is the system telling you that, that is lawyers telling you that, and nobody is an expert and nobody gets through this alone. So that is what I would say. That's my number one thing too. Ask for help. If you need it, ask for help. But overall, just work hard and take care of yourself while you do it. Yeah, I would echo exactly those things. Ask for help. Um, self-care is really important. Um, whatever that means for you, right? Somebody else's self-care is not your self-care. Um, so figure out what's what works for you. And if that is doom scrolling TikTok for three hours because you just need to turn off your brain, that is what it is. Um, I think the other thing that I would tell younger Kate is it's, you don't have to be perfect, right? And so many of us are in law school because we are overachieving perfectionist type A kind of people. 
And it was, it was really hard for me to let that go when I, um, and, and this is part of the problems with the system anyway, but like when I got my first set of grades back kind of thing, when I got my first class rank back and they weren't maybe what I wanted them to be, but they were perfectly acceptable grades. It was a moment of like, oh shoot, what should I be doing different? How can I do more? You know, and like just being able to check yourself and saying, am I, am I giving this everything I can give this in this moment, right? Not am I giving every, getting, giving it everything because that's just not reasonable. Um, but like, am I giving it what I can give it right now? Am I doing my best? I, I talk about this with my seven-year-old all the time, right? It's not about doing it perfectly. It's not about always being the best at something. It's about trying your hardest and doing it with a little bit of empathy towards others and a little bit of grace towards others. I mean, all, all of that beyond that first, I'm going to check my privilege. And yes, that, that was, that was a very ageist thing. And so I appreciate you, Arthi, for, for pointing that out to me. I, I think that's one of those buzz things that we do for it. We think that we think it's cute. And then it's like, but there's something there. But I feel like if I were to tell anyone who is coming to law school, I guess, even not even putting age attached to it is the rat race is with yourself. It is not with the people around you. And I think that is one of the biggest disservices that I think law school has taught us is that it is a competition and you are, you need to race your way to the top when it really is, how am I going to better myself to get to where it is that I need to be? I think we need to to focus more on our own personal goals to get the thing that we want out of this piece of paper that says JD on it, instead of trying to decide what is the law firm that I really want to work at? What do they want from me? It's no, 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 no. What do you want from yourself? And if you can bring that to the law firm that you really want to work for, they're going to hopefully, if they're working for the right reasons, they are going to see that and they're going to recognize that. I think this whole law thing, it will work itself out if you are if you are also in it for the right reasons. I don't think any of us are in it to <laughs> join big law. I know I my myself is not like, that is not my dream. Uh, but it might be for someone else. But even still, that rat race is with yourself. It's not with it's not with the people around you. You should take support in the people around you. They're not your enemies. Everybody, thank you. I really, really, really like talking to all of you. So um, I really appreciate you taking out the time for an hour on a Thursday to to spend some time with me. And we will get through this. Just be well and thank you. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Polowitz. Our associate editors are Neka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.